Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Terry Ishii, and today on the roundtable, we are joined by Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee. Always good to be here with you. Yeah, man, it's always good to hang out with you. All right, this is that one. I love you, but I'm really excited about our guest today. So, Jeremy Chambers from Richmond, Virginia. Jeremy, tell us a little bit about yourself, and man, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for being on it. Yeah, thanks for having me here with both of you guys. It's good to be with both of you guys too. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so my wife and I, Monica and I are here in Richmond. Um, We've been planting for about eight years uh, and launching off house churches, our missional communities, organic churches, whatever whatever phrase you wanna use. Uh, We've really seen ourselves as missionaries to the city. Uh, And so we've been very attentive to people groups and places in the city where we've been able to help start up new communities that are focused on serving others and caring for the needs of those here in Richmond. So that's so awesome. Love it. Um, You have a new book out. You and Monica, your lovely wife, uh, just finished a book called Kingdom Contours. Uh, And I know you're actually going to be on the interview as well with Roland and you guys did a deeper dive into that. Uh, but for those who maybe are picking and choosing and bouncing around on the different podcasts, uh, tell us just really briefly, like, what is Kingdom Contours about? Uh, and what, what are you guys, what's the aim of that thing? Yeah, well, we, we had a lot of people just sort of asking about some of the things we were doing and, and how we were doing things. And uh, we've just been kind of iterating very creative experiments uh, missionally here in the city. And uh, so I often felt like I was giving people a list of 20 books to read. (laughs) And uh, one day Monica said, well, you know, if you could get it all in one book, what would it look like? Uh, And then we just kind of started talking. And uh, I said, well, I mean, we would start with the, the basic outline would be Alan Hirsch's missional DNA from the forgotten ways. Um, but see, we've recommended that book for a lot of people and they just say, oh, I can't read it. It's too heavy. It's too dense. Uh, so we said, why don't we just kind of interpret it a little bit uh, and also add in a collection of resources that we've come across mm-hmm. elsewhere in, in our extensive study and experimenting. So yeah, to me, the price of the book, like its total worth is the last couple of pages where you basically, I, it's got to be at least eight pages long where you're like, all right, this is the topic. Here are the books you should read. And it's just page after page. And one, as, as I think we're, we're similarly read. And so as I was going through the list, I was like, read it, read it, own it, haven't yet read it, gonna read it, you know, and I was like, never heard of this one. This is a great one. So if, go pick up Kingdom Contours, even if you just look at the, the resource of all the books you should read on the back end. It was brilliant. So love that. Yeah. And anybody that could translate Alan Hirsch, you're, you're, you know, double thumbs up in my book. I feel like that's what I have to do a lot of times with people is go, I love, I love Al. I love everything he's written. But sometimes people are like, what in the world's going on? Like, I don't understand. So yeah, to have a book that actually helps translate some of that, that concept and idea is great. So, hey, Jeremy, how can people actually pick up the book? Um, I mean, just Amazon, right? 
the world's our, bookseller, right? Our overlord, Amazon.com. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, man. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if they want to, uh, if they read the book, Mind Blown, and they want to reach out to you guys, what's the easiest way to get connected with you guys? Mm. Um, I mean, we have we have a website for Forge Richmond. It's just forgerichmond.com. You can go there and email us through that. Awesome. Well, dude, man, it's a fantastic book. Uh, and that feels like an end. We should just end there, right? No. Uh, so one of the reasons we asked you to join us today, uh, and it's a smaller group for the roundtable. Usually we have like five or six people on this thing. Uh, but we have been wanting to have this conversation uh, around this idea, the idea of Jesus as Lord. What does it mean? Like, what are the implications of all of that? And one of the things that you and Monica have done really, really well is take this idea from Al's Forgotten Ways, the, the missional movement DNA, and we all know everything hinges on the idea that Jesus is Lord. Discipleship, uh, our systems, and, and the way that we create things, all, and all those things really do fail if we don't hold Jesus as Lord kind of at the center. It, it's, it has to be the rally, the rally call. Uh, and so we're excited to jump into that. Now, this is a nebulous conversation. We were like trying to prep for this. It's like, okay, how are we going to talk about it? What do we want to talk about? And we couldn't really nail down like, okay, here are the, here are the bullet points uh, that we want to achieve in this conversation because it's such a big topic. And so my suggestion is let's just, let's just rap about it for a while. Uh, and then we'll see what, what falls on the recording. So yeah, and I think I think the reason it's because it's such a big topic is it's a lifelong topic. I mean, the, the concept of Jesus as Lord is something that none of us will ever truly grasp, at least this side of, of eternity. You know, I mean, like, I, I think we'll, we are all struggling with it and we all have to um, continually figure out what that means. Uh, right before this, um, Terry, you, you gave a great analogy that I'd never heard before. Uh, we were on a call and you talked about killing your clone. I think that has a lot to do with Jesus Lord. Could you kind of unpack that metaphor a little bit? Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I hate that I can't remember uh, who this comes from. Uh, but again, it comes from television. Uh, everything <laughs> everything I, I have that's decent comes from television or a movie. But there's a television show uh, called Chance. It's on Hulu. It's one of their Hulu originals. And it stars uh, an, an actor who I've just recently become really obsessed with, Ethan Suppley. Uh, Ethan has a podcast uh, called American Glutton and the character he plays in this show Chance is this wild crazy kind of military tactician person uh, and I was listening to a podcast and they were uh, Ethan was uh, interviewing this dude and they were talking about this idea of killing your clone and so the concept is uh, every night at midnight you are forced to fight to the death your clone from 24 hours ago. So the idea is either you kill it or it kills you. And the only competitive advantage you have is what you are able to accomplish in 24 hours. So at this moment at 10.30 a.m. in 24 hours from now, I'm going to fight my clone. Uh, I have that many hours to create whatever whatever advantages I can do. So how do I better myself in the next couple of, in the next couple of hours? 
what, 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 and they're always talking about strength training and mental tactician and all of those sorts of things, but what are the competitive edges that I can do? And again, it doesn't need to be huge leaps, but it's the small incremental things that I do in the next 24 hours. That's enough to kill my clone. Yeah. So, so take that metaphor, right? So that idea and uh, knowing Ethan play, he's the guy that went from like the 500 pound actor to an absolute muscle beast, right? So he's probably talking about it in his personal walk, uh, physical transformation. Uh, but if you take that idea and maybe not so militaristic or, or whatever, but if you take that idea and you say, hey, what does this mean for me as I'm being formed more like Christ, as I'm trying to be formed more like Jesus? And so I know uh, I resonate with Paul when he talks about man, I got, I got this part of me that really wants to be in with Jesus. And I got this part of me that really doesn't. And I am constantly fighting apart against that part that, that doesn't want to be a, that doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so I, I took that concept in my head and, and you got to go, okay, if Jesus is Lord, he's always, maybe it's Jesus fighting uh, the things in my life that are keeping me away from him. Sure. And again, every metaphor breaks down over time. And so I, I love the idea and kind of moving towards that. Uh, the other part of it, it made me think of, I just recently saw this uh, TED talk. I think it was from two years ago. And it was Michael Jr., who's a Christian comedian, uh, great guy. I got to meet him several years ago. And he had this TED talk and he talked about how, uh, you know, a joke, the, the trick of a joke is, is you've got the setup and then you've got the punchline. And comedy is when the setup and the punchline don't really kind of match up. The setup takes you one place and then the punchline gets you someplace else. And he says, a lot of people know their setup. They know, they know what's going on. They know where they're going, you know, all this stuff, but they don't know what their punchline is. Like, what's the point? Which takes us back to the idea of, um, it's the old idea of uh, vices and virtues and your telos. So the telos is, hey, what is the vision of my life? What do I want my life to be? Well, as a Christian, I want my life to be more like Jesus. Cool. That's great. Um, that's, that's my punchline. That's what I want to get to, right? The setup is, uh, as the Greeks would say, you have vices and you have virtues. Virtues are the things that get you to your vision, right? Uh, and vices are things that take you away. So go back old school. Uh, virtues are prayer, Bible study, devotional, all those things, plus a whole lot more the vices are the things that take me away from Christ. It's when I become self-centered really, ultimately you could say it's the virtues are the things that help me say, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life in all areas. And the vices are things where I say, no, Jesus is not Lord of this area over here. Um, yeah, this, I love that idea of killing your clone. And what does that actually mean? Yeah. You know, what hits me with modern Christianity and I think, it's, it's important to sometimes make that distinction. Um, we, we've perpetuated a cultural Christian clone. <laughs> and uh, if we start to look at the history of Christianity, we, we discover there's so much richness there. There's so much depth. And there's so many people for the past 2,000 years who've very well articulated a Christ-centered, a Christocentric lifestyle. Um, and too often we have neglected to pay attention to the lessons they learned. Um, and so in one sense, we have, we have this 2,000-year this history of Christocentric people practicing the way of Jesus. But in modern times, we've lost the ability to tap into that. Uh, we've lost the ability to really 
enrich ourselves with the nature of our faith. Uh, and so that was one of the things that was very, very disturbing to me growing up was looking around myself in the Christian circles and uh, recognizing that there's not much that sets us apart. Uh, and, and then I start asking a question, well, what, what does, what would set us apart from the rest of the world? Um, a strong Christology does, right? <clears throat> a Trinitarian sort of theology is very unique. Uh, no other religion lays claim to that sort of structure of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three but one. Uh, and then this idea then that the word becomes flesh, Christ, fully God, becomes incarnate and lives here with us. Uh, technically, these are some of the most essential um, tenets of our faith. And so I, I was struggling with why then do we tend to talk about so many other things and tend to neglect the, the Christology part? Uh, and a friend was looking at our, our manuscript when we were writing the book, and uh, he said something along the lines of, well, you can leave out this chapter on Jesus as Lord, because we all get that already. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, dude, no way. That, that's actually what the problem is. Yeah. We all have assumed that, and then we've neglected to really come back to a life that is centered on Jesus. And that's actually the foundation. And, and when we bring up that foundation, we discover the true depth and the potency of our faith. Otherwise, it's just a theistic, moralistic thing. Yep. But when it's Christ-centered, there's freedom and there's life. And uh, so hopefully in the recovering of that, everything then does change. Uh, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. And I, so if I can, if I could jump off that, I'll add to that a little bit. One of the phrases I came across, oh, I don't know, it's, it's been a, a while now, but it was a stumbling block for me and I had to really struggle with it. And it gave, I, I could see where it's given voice to a lot of the things that I've felt and thought about. But someone kept talking about the idea of the cruciformed life. In other words, having a life um, that is shaped by the cross. And you're kind of like, what? Because, you know, one of the things that as Protestants are always like ragged on are it's about we, we, we focus so much on the cross. <laughs> you know, we focus so much on on the death and the burial. And, you know, really it should be about the resurrection and the incarnation. It's like, yes, but they kept saying, you know, the cruciform life. And really, it ultimately comes back down to dying to self. Yeah. Right. The, um, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, you know, at first I was like, okay, what does this mean? Like why the cruciform life? And then it's kind of like, I dismiss it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course that's what it is. Right. Of course that's what it's all about. But then when you really dig down deep and you, you hold up a cruciform life against what I have and you talk about a Christ centric life and I'm like, Ugh, how really you know, how really am I dying to myself? Because to be honest with you, I'm secretly incredibly narcissistic. <laughs> you know, I'm very much about me. I'm very much about my own comfort and my own joy. Um, and, and it's like, ah, oh, that's hard. How do you hold up and, and model the cruciform life and to, to be like Jesus and to say, 
Now I'm going to lay down my rights and in Christianity where, and I've been in a church game for a long time. And so church that I've seen has been, as we say, a dispenser of religious goods and services, which means we produce for the most part, consumers over disciples, right? Come to the church. We've got something for everybody. Now that's a very harsh statement. I know, but we've created an environment where it's like, Hey, we'll do whatever it takes to, to get you to be a part of our brand, our thing, our little kingdom. We'll make you happy. We'll do all these things, which doesn't necessarily lead towards a cruciform life. It doesn't lead towards a life that says, how do I give up my rights, my privileges, you know, what I want for the sake of, for the sake of my community, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my neighborhood, for the sake of my nation, I will give up my rights. I will live up um, and, and be a part of this, this cruciform, the dying to self. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is the, the way we think about the end game uh, and even referring to it as the end game, you know, for so many, at least in my heritage, it was all about salvation. It's all about getting people saved. It's, it's about, you know, getting people tickets to the, to the afterlife type of deal. And when it's so easy to reduce your image of Christ to, oh, he's my savior, you know? And so I do the business that needs to be done for him to be my savior. And then it kind of just sits there. And, 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 and in that reality is I'm supposed to reciprocate with Thanksgiving, like, hey, you saved me. I'm not going to hell. So thanks for that. And I'll praise you. And you're awesome for that. And I'm going to try not to do the things that was, that was going to make me go to hell anyway. So I'll, I'll try to check my behavior. And so it's, it's a really a reductionist view of who Jesus is. But when we, when we take a step back and say, okay, Jesus is Lord. Now it's everything, right? And we, and we can spend hours looking at how we reduce Jesus. You know, one of my favorite ones to pick fun of is Jesus is my best friend or Jesus is my boyfriend. Uh, that whole camp, you know, there, I, I remember years ago, literally, uh, we sang a song called Jesus, you are my best friend. You always be. And I was like, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Google it. It's out there, people. Um, but it's this idea. And, and is Jesus my friend? Of course. Is Jesus my, you know, my dude, my homie, all that? Of course. Is he my savior? Yes. But he, we, we have to see bigger than that. We have to see he is my Lord. He is, he's all of those things, but it's all encompassed in this idea. Jesus is my Lord. So here's the question we have to spend the rest of our life wrestling with is if Jesus is Lord, what are the implications of that in my life? And so I am saved. I am redeemed. I have grace and it's beautiful. Um, but am I living the life that Jesus died that I could have? Right. And I think sometimes we get caught up. Jesus died so we can have that life when that next life. But he died that we can have this life, too. Like we get to have this new life, this new kingdom, this not this now, but not yet. And if I can live this Jesus way, the life, these next, hopefully the next 40 to 50 years, if, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to live to 90 guys. I, I never <laughs> thought about living that long. It's like, if I live to 60, I'll, I'll be, but like these next years, is that, are those going to be good? Are those going to be loving and awesome? And I believe if I live the Jesus way, it'll be the best possible outcome. Mm. 
Yeah, Terry, I love what you're saying there. You're getting at this idea of a robust yeah. and incarnational Christology, right? So it's, it's not minimalistic. Uh, it, it's not reductionistic, but it's absolutely all-encompassing. And I, I think, you know, it doesn't take much reflection to see this in the scriptures, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul often said some fascinating statements that if we really think about them, they're life-changing sort of statements that, that impress a robust Christology on us. For example, when he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, I mean, to live is Christ. It means like his reality was all consumed with the nature of Jesus Christ and what that meant to be in relationship. Later, elsewhere, he says, uh, it's not I that live, but Christ that lives within me. Yeah. So this indwelling reality was massive in Paul's theology. Uh, it, later, when he's praying for the Ephesians, he says that he, he prays that they could comprehend the magnitude of the love of God for them. And, and, and it's this Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is this Christological sort of prayer where it's like that you would know the love of Christ, that Christ would dwell in you. And what he's getting at is, again, an all-encompassing, obsessive sort of reality that Jesus Christ is not just an abstract person who saved me, then I go, okay, there's this guy out there who, who helped me out. I'm grateful for him. But no, like, not only is he relationally connected, but I can become immersed in his reality. Yeah. And, and actually, I mean, imagine even Paul goes as far as to compare our relationship with Christ to this idea of marital union in Ephesians 5, right? The mystery of Christ in the church. And Paul himself recognizes he doesn't even fully grasp its depths. Um, so one of you said earlier, you know, we could spend the rest of our lives just unpacking this, right? I think Paul knew that too. Um, and one of the things that I think would be so helpful for anyone who's listening and thinking, well, like, how do I, how do I get there? How do I start to experience more of a Jesus-centered reality? Um, Man, I think if you just read the Gospels and read over them and over them and over them, and, you know, not to come back to that sort of basic, like, read the Bible, but, <laughs> but really, yeah. if, if we really allowed this, the, the narratives of Jesus, and we start asking, why did he do the things he mm. did? Why did he say the things he did? What was his motives? Um, that would make such a difference. Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think it was Deb, I think you heard it from Deb, Alan, uh, and then you've passed it on to me. And now I've passed it on to if you've listened to this and you're part of Forge. You've heard me say this. But when we read the Gospels, you know, asking the question, what what was Jesus's posture and what was Jesus's priority? Like if like read the read the Gospels and those are the only questions you you ask. Don't ask any other questions. Don't get caught up in just like what was Jesus's posture? What was his priorities? And it is fascinating when you read the Gospels with that lens and those questions, how all of this really does come to life. Uh, and, and I know like our theologies can jack us up. 
I, I totally get that. You know, even for me, uh, there's always been a part of me that like they, they, to be human is, is evil. It's like, oh, it's my flesh. It's my humanness that is, that's just broken and wrong. And um, this idea that Jesus came to, in, 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 to be human, to be fully human, to, to be fully holistically human and, and its greatest uh, potential. Um, and it's been, it's been uni- really helpful for me as I think through like, okay, I don't have to hate my humanness. It's like, again, it's, it's always back to that Jesus as savior mindset that, oh, my humanness is horrible. I, I'm ready for my spiritual body. Like, I mean, I, you know, you guys are quoting Philippians 121. That, that is, that's a life verse for me. And in a very weird, different way, not in maybe in the way that it's typically thought of, but uh, I've struggled with mental health as a young person and uh, as a young pastor struggled with it and had a thought in my head that if, if I were, if I were to just end it, if I were to give in to the depression, um, I, I would be in heaven and it would be amazing. Like I would, I'd longed for the spiritual body because the physical body was so I was disgusted. I was broken by it. It's like, I hate the flesh. I hate the flesh, hate the flesh. And this is what I would tell myself over and over again. And I remember my mentor, Brian, he was my pastor at the time. And he, he sat down with me and he just flipped Philippians 121. He said to die is gain. Of course. Yes. You die. You would gain everything, but to live is, is to be Christ is to be like Christ. And, and it changed like, and I've, I've never had another suicidal thought after having that scripture read over me. And, and, and I know people don't always have that type of deliverance and it's, it's a, it's a struggle, but uh, it changed how I viewed. And even as I've gotten older, 20 years later, I'm still wrestling with this idea that, okay, I don't have to hate my human. I don't have to hate my flesh because my flesh has the potential to be great. If I let Jesus truly transform me, if I truly follow in his way of living as a human, this is something to be treasured. This is something to, to, to be joyful and to, to like praise God for. And so it's really kind of changing my whole outlook on life as I get older. And I'm super grateful for some of the mystics who, who write and speak to the idea of experiencing Christ for so, for so long in my own life, Christ was something, it was a theological exercise as like, Oh, if I, if I, you know, yes, I believe in my heart, but basically if I think in my head, that Jesus is the son of God, that he saves me, forgives me. If I ask for forgiveness, then, you know, check the box, baby. I'm going to heaven. That was it. And it left me wanting. And so this idea of Jesus as Lord has truly been transformative in my life. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I, I Going back to what some of you guys talked about, uh, when, I, when I run a Forge residency here in Knoxville, one of the things I'll add to the curriculum is I'll say, hey, as we journey through this residency, I want you to immerse yourselves in the gospels. And I used to give them like a, like a, Hey, read first John by this, or I used to give them like a, like a, a script is here. You're going to read it. But now I'm like, I don't care. Just immerse yourself in the gospel. If you read all four gospels in a week, guess what? You're going to turn right around and keep doing it. If you read one verse a, a day, that's fine. But I want you to immerse yourself in Jesus. And then halfway through, we'll kind of touch base. Hey, what have you been learning about Jesus? 
as you've been reading the gospels, as you're going to go through it. And my favorite was uh, one time we're doing the residency and everybody's kind of sharing uh, what they've been learning. And this one guy that I was coaching, he couldn't make it to that, that time together. And so I got together with him later and I said, Hey, you know, what have you been learning in the gospels? And he was just, he'd been reading John and he's like, Oh my gosh, I know everybody else said this, but how forgiving Jesus is. Jesus is so over. And he just went over and over and over. And he was just so fired up about it. And I was like, man, that's great. That perspective, nobody else said that. And he looked at me dumbfounded. He was like, are you kidding me? How could you read this and not see how forgiving Jesus is and how, and he just kept going and going and going. And I love that perspective. And the fact that the more you, you get into it, I mean, I've been reading the gospels for 20 plus years now, and it still amazes me. You know, if you come to it and say, Hey, I want to learn from Jesus. This is the person I want to be more like. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I know the story. I get it. But if you come at it with prayer, with fresh eyes and saying, spirit, speak to me and let the scriptures read you and not just you read the scriptures, it's a completely different experience. But here's, let me take it one more step. And, and this conversation makes me think of an exercise we do here uh, in, in my faith community. Sometimes we'll talk about the Jesuses we have known. And yes, that was a plural, the Jesuses. Uh, so I, I made fun of you saying, uh, you guys were singing, uh, Jesus is my friend, <laughs> Right. Okay, but then I did a gut check on myself while you were talking, and there were a time in my life where I needed Jesus to be my friend, and it was all about the self-esteem and somebody looking at me with love and gracious eyes, and I needed Jesus to be my friend, you know, and I can look back at the Jesuses I've known. So, for example, early on as a teenager, it was Jesus saved my butt out of hell. That was the Jesus I knew, right? And then it was Jesus was my friend and he's my buddy. Um, then it's like Jesus as my um, example. Um, and, and you can go through all the different kind of Jesus that you've known. And my hope is I continue to know more and more about Jesus. I continue, I hope I can sit down with somebody and go, how can you read this and not understand how forgiving Jesus is? <laughs> you know, so excited and and kind of, laying out that journey and saying, here's the Jesus I knew. Now this was a part of him and there was probably right and wrong to it, sure. right? There's probably, there's probably right to him being my buddy and my friend. And there's probably some wrong to it because I'm probably negating the Lordship part because once you really butt up against Jesus as Lord, it changes the game. Yeah. You know, what does that imply? Yeah, that's not a word we use a lot in the English language. We, we fought a war over getting rid of Kings, right? We're like, we don't do this, but Jesus is Lord totally changes the game yeah i love that i love that you the, these are little glimmers of jesus um and i think they they're all encompassing right that's 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 the beautiful thing about jesus he is he is all of those things and the spirit has the the ability that in that moment like we receive what we need to receive he, he, the, the comfort the guidance and all of that but the the trick is we don't get hung up on it we don't get hung up on, oh, this is what he is. And we stay there. There, there has to be this pushing of, okay, he's bigger. He's bigger. He, yes, he's my friend, but he's more than that. And so I'm always constantly looking for that, that bigger expression, that fresh, fresh expression of who Jesus is in my life. Um, and, and even this idea of Jesus is Lord. I mean, this is, this is what discipleship is. You know, we get asked by pastors all the time, how, how do you best disciple people? Man, the best way to disciple someone is to help them wrestle with the paradigm that Jesus is Lord of every part of your life and that you, you, your discipleship is giving him 
control of those areas? You know, are you willing to let him be the Lord of your marriage, be the Lord of your parenting, of your, you know, drive time, you know, when you're in the car, you know, all of those different things. Yeah, well, there's a really helpful book uh, that kind of exposes some of these uh, little false cultural Jesuses. <laughs> uh, it's called Jesus Made in America by Steve Nichols. And he exposes these um, different approaches to who Jesus was in different eras. And he has different artwork in the book. And it's, it's really kind of cool. Um, but he concludes with, hey, we also have like a history of, uh, and I mean, he, he's a little biased towards the Puritans and their Christology. But he, he says, look how these Puritans had this robust, I mean, Sure, the, Pur the Puritans had a lot of other issues going on, but they did have a robust Christology where the lordship, uh, the power, the magnitude, the transcendence of Christ uh, was really uh, life-altering for them. Um, there's another good book by Michael Reeves called, I think it's called Celebrating, Cr Rejoicing in Christ, Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves, which is a it's a short read, but it's just this mini little Christology, and it's very worshipful. Uh, it, it takes these deep truths, and it applies it to, I mean, it, it just kind of expounds who Christ is and what that, with the bearing of, of who he is on our lives. All right, well, let's transition the conversation. Uh, we could spend another hour talking about this, and, and everything we've talked about has been really good, but let me pose this question. How do we, what, how do we get to the heart of this idea that Jesus is Lord? We were on a call uh, earlier today with the lovely uh, Deb Hirsch uh, and Al. And one of the things that they said uh, that just, I've heard it before, but it was just piercing. Uh, and Deb, Deb, Deb and Al, they said, your most important relationship is your relationship with Jesus. Um, and they spent about an hour each just, pouring over that idea that Jesus is our most important relationship. And so how do we get to the heart of this idea? I think for me, understanding Jesus as Lord is realizing that I have a lot of idols in my life. Um, and I'm going with the old school term idolatry. And I just do. Um, and I'm constantly being aware of them. You know, I, I used to think, Oh no, it's not that big of a deal. But the older I get, the more I realize I have serious idols in my life. And it could be the idol of, um, comfort. It could be the idol of just being lazy. It could be the idol of work. It could be the idol of my own self-importance. It could be all kinds of different things. And I feel like at the heart of Jesus as Lord is me giving over um, my life and saying, all right, I need you to address and to really talk about, or really not just talk about, I'm sorry, I need you to address and actually do something about the idols of my life, Jesus. And I need to, to be able to join you in this. Uh, and so I think understanding that and understanding that actually following Jesus is not, it's not safe, <laughs> right? Jesus is good, but he is not safe. And he's going to attack and chisel away at a lot of that stuff. Um, and so for me, a constant awareness of, of how do I become formed more like Jesus, uh, which is going to be joyful and encouraging and great. And it's also going to be painful and it's going to be terrible uh, because my natural self does not die easily. I don't kill that clone easily. Um, and so 
constantly putting that, you know, I love that idea. What he said, every, every 24 hours, I got to kill the clone. Well, maybe for me, it's every 24 hours I have to reorient around. Okay. Jesus is Lord. I have to keep coming back to that. And that is a lifelong uh, joy. It's a lifelong um, journey. It's a lifelong um, exercise and burden almost because it's hard. Uh, But it's also something that I want my life to be about. I want to constantly be uh, at the center of saying Jesus is Lord. To recognize Jesus as Lord is to, as you said, Alan, um, to allow those idols to become worthless. All, all things would fall away, as the old hymn says. Look at Christ. The things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So uh, to find Christ as central, as the all permeating reality that God is inviting us into uh, oneness with him, suddenly all the other counterfeits, all the idols, they, they're meaningless, they fall away. Uh, and and it, it's, it unifies all the disparate parts of our life, right? Suddenly everything has clarity. Uh, if, if Christ is the goal and to know him and walk with him and be with him, uh, then all the distractions uh, just, yeah, they, they become very evident as distractions and they fall away. That's good. Yeah. And I heard somebody uh, incredibly wise in our tribe say, uh, and to, to give this the forge, um, the forge lens, because we talk about mission so much, right? We talk about mission, you know, where we serve a missional God and, and we are the sent ones and what all that implies. But the trick is mission is not the goal. The goal is not mission. The goal is not do, do, do. The goal is not any of that. The goal is Jesus is Lord. And mission is the overflow. Mission is what happens when Jesus is Lord. And so when I look at my life or I look at my neighborhood, I look at my community, I look at whatever it is, and I say, where is where is Jesus not Lord? Okay, well, maybe that's maybe there's, there's mission there that can happen. Um, and so I think that's something that's really important for us as people who talk a lot about um, mission of people who talk a lot about go and and do and be a part of this and be about the restoration of the world that's not the point the point has always been will always be jesus is lord i think that's a fantastic spot to end um thank you alan thank you jeremy um yeah jesus is lord it's it begins there and ends there and so hopefully as you pursue mission as you pursue discipleship and as you seek out Jesus, uh, our prayer for you guys is that Jesus becomes bigger and bigger uh, in your world and that you're able to orient all all aspects of your life around him as Lord. And so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to like and share uh, this podcast with your friends, anyone who may be interested in these sorts of conversations. Uh, like us on iTunes and all the other things that people say at the end of podcasts. So uh, <laughs> with that, we say thank you. Uh, guys, thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate you guys. Love you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys.